We turn again now to the reading and the hearing of God's Word. Make no mistake, this is an element of worship. This is an act of worship for the Word of God to be read and for us to hear it with faith and hope and love. You can see in your bulletin this morning that we're turning again to Psalm 119. Last week we took a look at a verse in this glorious long psalm, this psalm that is about the Word of God in so many different ways. Last week, we looked at Psalm 119, verse 28. Verse 28, which said, My soul melts away for sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. My soul melts away for sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. And that was a powerful verse. Both halves of it. My soul melts away for sorrow. That's what he was experiencing. He was experiencing the kind of sorrow that makes it feel like your very soul is melting and weeping. But then, strengthen me according to your word. That's what he wanted. That's what he prayed for. The implication being that it is actually possible to be strong in the midst of profound, weeping, melting sorrow. Even down in a deep valley like that, it's possible to trust and pray and rejoice and love and press on. My soul melts away for sorrow Strengthen me according to your word. And remember, as I said last week, both of those things are true of us in this world because they were true of Jesus first in this same world. We fix our eyes on Christ. Jesus knew that kind of sorrow. And Jesus sought and found that kind of strength from above in his Father's word. Christ himself could say, my soul melts away for sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. So that was last week. This week we're turning to a different verse in Psalm 119. In just a moment, I'm going to read the whole eight-verse section culminating in verse 96. I'll tell you right now, it is the last of them, verse 96, that we're going to focus on, which says this, I have seen a limit to all perfection, but your commandment is exceedingly broad. And I got to thinking about The connection, I suppose there are many of them, but one connection in particular between the verse we looked at last week and the one that we're going to focus on this week. Last week it was melting sorrow so that you cry out for strength according to God's word. How devastating would it be if we came to discover that there are some sorrows in this life that we might experience that God's word cannot reach? How devastating would it be if we came to the realization that there are sorrows we might know in this life that God's word cannot reach? Sorry, God's had a lot to say, but it doesn't go that far. It doesn't reach that far. I know you need strength, But you're too far gone, melting away, way out there, to look to God for the strength according to his word that you need. 
Thankfully, that will never happen. And the reason that will never happen is that God's Word has an inexhaustible reach. It can reach as far as, far as our sorrows can. For me, what it brought to mind was that great verse from the hymn, Joy to the World. And in a few months, we'll sing it. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. What a great line. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. Think about that. As far as the curse reaches, God's grace does too. Or to put it in terms of where we are in Psalm 119, as far as your melting sorrows might be found, God's word reaches there too and strengthens you there. God's word has that kind of inexhaustibly broad reach, and that is one of the things, one of the many things, that makes it far better than even the best of earthly blessings. And that's what we're going to reflect upon today. But notice where this verse is to be found. Listen to the whole eight-verse section in the psalm that culminates in verse 96. So I'll begin reading for us at verse 89. Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You have established the earth, and it stands fast. By your appointment they stand this day, for all things are your servants. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. I will never forget your precepts, for by them... You have given me life. I am yours. Save me, for I have sought your precepts. The wicked lie and wait to destroy me, but I consider your testimonies. And then verse 96. I have seen a limit to all perfection, but your commandment is exceedingly broad. So this is the word of our God today. Let's go to him in prayer. Father, we do come to you now in prayer and ask for your blessing upon the ministry of your word among us. And that is a prayer well-founded. Surely, having spoken as you have, you will be pleased to bless your word now so that it does not return to you empty but accomplishes the purpose for which you sent it, even as the rain falls from heaven and waters the earth and makes it fruitful for us. Even the rains that fall today are a picture of that. So would you cause your word to fall and bear fruit in our hearts and lives and in the life of our church? And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The familiar saying goes, all good things must come to an end. All good things must come to an end. I remember someone making the observation in one of our sermon discussions several years ago on this point that for him as a kid, and he remembered it even as an adult, for him as a kid, the worst day of the year 
was December 26th. And even when he said it, I think there were, there were knowing hums and amens in the congregation. December 26th, because that was the day when it hit you as a kid that the best of all kid things had come to an end. Christmas was over. And not only that, but by the 26th, you had probably already broken at least one of your toys. The great December crash on the 26th. I remember feeling something like that as a kid, not in the dead of winter, but in the heat of summer. I remember feeling that way about the Saturday that was always the last day of our annual family beach week, because that was the day when, for me, the greatest of all kid things had come to an end. Beach week was over, and for us as a family, for me as a kid, it was always, every year, compounded by the fact that it took place in mid to late August, which meant summer was almost over. It was the great August crash for me and my brother with me. All good things come to an end. And it's not just that they eventually run out. It's also that even at their best, even at their best, they have their flaws and their cracks. Christmas Day, the 25th, even at its best, had its tensions and its disappointments and its broken toys and its Steeler jerseys that weren't quite the right size. We're going to have to take this one back and you're going to have to wait to get the right one. Beach Week, even at its best, had its sunburn and its sand in the sheets and its rainy days. So not just in terms of quantity or duration, how long something lasts, but also in terms of quality. We're constantly finding out just how limited are the good things of this life. And even when you're a big kid, even when you've grown up, you still have a sense of this. We all have a sense of this aspect of human experience. All good things have their limits, whatever it might be. Enjoyable vacations, solid relationships, good health. So you know this. I'm not telling you something you don't know. You, you've, you've tasted this. You've seen this. In fact, I wonder, even as you're sitting there now and listening to this, I wonder what comes to mind from your own experience when you stop and think about this. Maybe that's something we can share together in our sermon discussion. What has it been in your own life that's had the effect of impressing this reality upon you? in a powerful way, the truth that all good things, even at their best, have their limits. And when that happens, when that is powerfully impressed upon you, either because there's some blessing that you've been enjoying that's run out in some way, or because there's some blessing that's starting to show its flaws and cracks in some way, or because There's some blessing that you're still enjoying. It's all good, but deep down you have this haunting sense that the grains of sand are falling through the hourglass and it won't be long now. When that happens and you feel that, what do you do? Where do you go for some kind of comfort? 
Well, here is a vital place to go, and it's a place where we, Christians, of all people can and must go. It's the recognition that, thankfully, it's not true to say that absolutely all good things come to an end. Thankfully, it's not true to say that without exception, all good things have their limits. It's not true because there is something that does not come to an end. It doesn't run out. It turns out that it doesn't have any flaws or cracks, and it will never, ever develop any, and it is the Word of God. Precisely because it is the Word of God. And that's what our psalmist is bringing out here in our verse. Verse 96. I have seen a limit to all perfection, but your commandment is exceedingly broad. What a wonderful thought. I've seen a limit to all perfection, but your commandment is exceedingly broad. So let's think about this one too, just like we did last week in terms of these two halves. His two statements here, the contrast that he draws, because each half is definitely worth thinking about and taking to heart. So think about the first part of the verse. I have seen a limit to all perfection. So he's describing his experience in the world. He's making an observation. And notice what his observation implies is that there is a kind of perfection that's to be found and enjoyed in this world. There is a kind of completeness or fullness that we sometimes experience. There are some things, even in this world, knowing all that we know about what this world is like, there are some things that are more or less what they're meant to be. Completeness, fullness. And and that's worth emphasizing. It would be easy to sort of skip over that. But it's worth pausing to emphasize it because it would be a mistake on our part if we were to allow ourselves to become so overwhelmed with all of the sinfulness and all of the brokenness that are to be found in this world that we render ourselves practically blind to the goodness that's to be found in it too, even in this cursed world. Even in this world that's populated by fallen men and women like ourselves, there are some things that are more or less what they're meant to be. An enjoyable vacation, a loving relationship, a healthy body, a job well done, a satisfying meal. And and we can open our eyes and look around and see them. In Philippians Paul urged the Christians in Philippi to live like that, to have their eyes open like that. In Philippians 4, he says this, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, and notice how expansive and unqualified this language is. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, If there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. That's Philippians 4. Well, the implication is it must be that there are such things in the world to be seen and enjoyed. So can you see that? Can you recognize that? 
Or have you allowed yourself to be so overwhelmed by sin and brokenness that you can't even see those things anymore? There is good in this world. Completeness, fullness, a kind of perfection that we sometimes see and taste. But, this is why we have to keep going, it always has its limits when it comes to earthly realities. And that's what the psalmist is observing here. He says, I have seen a limit to all perfection. All good things have their limits. And why? Well, two reasons chiefly. One is because they're finite, the things of creation. That's exactly what they are. They're created and not creator. So they're finite. And it's also because the things of this world are under the curse ever since the fall. Things are stained, things are marred, things are dented. And so, as I was saying before, this gets to both quantity and quality. Quantity, good things run out. And quality, good things have their flaws and cracks. A limit to all perfection. And notice this as well about the way he puts it. He says, I have seen this. I have seen a limit to all perfection. I've seen it. This is not merely a logical conclusion that he's come to as a result of reflecting upon certain foundational truths. This isn't just a logical conclusion from book study. This is a powerful testimony from personal experience. Now, to be clear, it certainly is a conclusion that you can come to as a result of reflecting upon foundational truths. So we're not denying that, and the psalmist wouldn't have denied it either. So yes, you can reflect upon the truth that God made all things good and that he sustains the world to this day with goodness in it. And you can ponder the truth that even the good things of this world, they're finite, they're limited. And you can reflect upon the truth that this world is under the curse of God and populated by men and women who are broken by sin. So by all means, you can sit in your study, and you can close the doors, you can close your eyes, and you can reflect upon those truths, and yes, you will come to the conclusion that there is a limit to all perfection. But for the psalmist, it's more than that. He hasn't just reasoned himself to this though no doubt reason prepared him for it. But he hasn't just reasoned himself to this. He has seen this. And in this respect, he's not alone. Just thinking about the powerful personal testimonies that we encounter in the Bible. It's one of the great things about the Bible that we have so many of these powerful testimonies our fathers and mothers in the faith, whose testimonies have been inscripturated, who can say, learn from me, let me tell you what I've seen in my life in this world. So, for example, David in Psalm 37. He doesn't just say, I've reasoned that God provides. He says, I've seen it. 
Psalm 37, he says, I have been young and now am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken. So yes, David could close his eyes and make his way to that conclusion based upon what he knows of God. And no doubt he did. But he could also open his eyes and say, this is what I've seen. Can't you see it too? On the negative side, it's like the wise man of Proverbs. He doesn't just say, I've, I've logically come to the conclusion that adultery can ruin a man. He says, I've seen it. And he describes in rather chilling terms what he has seen. Or it's like the wise man of Ecclesiastes. He doesn't just say, I've come to the conclusion that all is vanity. He says, I've seen it. And I haven't just seen it out there as a a remote observer. I've seen it in my own life because I've tried everything. And in fact, in many ways, the whole book of Ecclesiastes is one long extended reflection upon the truth that we've got before us right now, which is that there is a limit to all perfection. And you can learn that from the wise man of Ecclesiastes. And you can learn it from the psalmist who's given us Psalm 119, verse 96. There's something very important to be learned from this. Christianity, your religion, Christian, Christianity is an eyes wide open faith. It's not head in the sand. It's regularly caricatured that way. And sadly, it is sometimes practiced that way. That's where the caricature comes from. Every caricature is an exaggeration of something that's to be observed, at least somewhere. But it isn't that. Our faith is not head in the sand. It's not see no evil, hear no evil, speak no evil. Or in this case, admit no limits, acknowledge no flaws. No, we admit them, we acknowledge them. And not only that, but we expect them. We're not thrown into a tailspin by them. Our faith is made of hardier stuff than that. We're not undone when it is especially powerfully impressed upon us that even the best things of this life have their limits. And here, too, we fix our eyes on Christ. Jesus of Nazareth, true man, who walked among us, who lived among us in this world, Jesus' eyes were wide open. And grateful as he was for the good gifts of his Father in this world, grateful as he was for the completeness, the fullness, the perfection that he himself could experience, Jesus could say, I have seen a limit to all perfection. And that too, even as we were saying last week, we say it again this week, Jesus, seated now at his Father's right hand, he remembers. And so when we go to him, when this truth perhaps comes crashing down upon us, in a powerful and painful way, we can go to him and he can say, I know, I remember. 
I have seen a limit to all perfection. So that's, that's the first half of the verse. That's the realism part. Thankfully, there's a second half to this verse, and it's this. It's this contrast. He says, but your commandment is exceedingly broad. Your commandment is exceedingly broad. In contrast to what we've just acknowledged about this world and even the best things that this world has to offer, in contrast to that stands the Word of God. And notice he calls it here, your commandment. I'm sure you've noticed this. If you haven't, read through even just a few portions of Psalm 119, and you'll find all of these different words that are used to refer to the Word of God. Commandment. Sometimes it's the plural. Commandments, precepts, statutes, the will of God, the Word of God. Here it's the commandment of God. Commandment, singular which means that he must have in view the Word of God as a whole. And he has the Word of God in view as that which tells us what to believe and how to live. Because the whole of God's Word comes to us with a commanding force to it. Think about our shorter catechism. Very early on in our catechism, the the question is posed, what do the Scriptures principally teach? And the right answer comes back. The scriptures principally teach what man is to believe concerning God and what duty God requires of man. That's what the word teaches. And the point is, it is commanded of us. It's not just offered up or suggested. It is commanded of us to believe what the word affirms. And to obey what the word requires. The whole of God's word comes to us with a you must written on it. In a sense, the whole of God's word is his commandment. And what he says about it here is that it is exceedingly broad. That's such a wonderful way of describing this book that's been placed in our hands now. Exceedingly broad. The word here means something like wide and spacious. You might picture a lush green field that you can run through and play in, and you can keep running and running and playing and running more, and you will never reach some nasty brush line that means you've reached the edge of the field so that you're left frustrated, wishing you could keep going, but you can't. No, this is exceedingly broad. Or thinking like an ancient Israelite, going back in time to Psalm 119, you might picture a land flowing with milk and honey, a land for a people, a land for an innumerable people, like the grains of sand on the seashore. And that people can just keep spreading out on that land. And, and cultivating it and enjoying it and making the most of it and never ever reach a border that means they've butted up against the land of an enemy. They'll never run out of room. Wide, spacious, exceedingly broad. And he's saying that that's true of God's word, which comes to us with this commanding force. 
And that is true of God's word in so many different ways. This vastness. First of all, the word of God is exceedingly broad in in this. The God whose word it is. The God who's revealed in this word is, as we like to say theologically, incomprehensible. God is incomprehensible. And remember what that means. The incomprehensibility of God does not mean that God doesn't make any sense. He's given us a book precisely because he can, in his condescending, merciful way, make himself make sense to us. But the incomprehensibility of God does mean that we finite creatures still cannot wrap our minds all the way around him. So the revelation that God has made of himself, that he has spoken to us, that revelation which is understandable, that revelation does not exhaust the being of God who is so far above and beyond us. So first of all, in that sense, we can say that this word, this commanding word, is exceedingly broad. Second, it's true in this sense as well. The love of God that's revealed in the word, That love is itself beyond measure. That's why I wanted to read for us earlier in our service today from Ephesians 3. And the way Paul tells them that he prays for them. He says, I pray for you that you be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. He's saying, I pray for you that you'd be able to to know a love that, in a sense, is beyond knowing. I pray for you that you'd be able to grasp the immeasurable measure of the love and grace of God. So this is an exceedingly broad word in that sense as well. And here's a third. The word of God is exceedingly broad in that there is a wonderful richness and complexity about what you find when you open up and start reading it. A richness and complexity about what's taught here that we're to believe and how we're to live. You can never get to the point that you've got nothing left to learn from God's Word. You're constantly seeing new things. And that's because it has so much to say on so many different subjects. God, creation, man, sin, redemption, church, world, earth, heaven, angels, devils, time, eternity. And not only can you explore its teachings, but then you can begin to notice in new ways how all of those different teachings connect with each other and and reinforce each other and build on each other. So there's a richness and complexity about the word, and hand in hand with that, thinking about how we apply the word, there's a corresponding richness and complexity that's true of our own lives, about life in this world as creatures who are fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God. Our very lives are rich and challenging and ever-changing with the passage of time. And what that means is that you never get to the point that you don't have anything more to learn about how this word ought to be brought to bear upon your own life and circumstances. 
So for all of those reasons and more, we could keep going. For all of those reasons, there's plenty of room. Plenty of room in God's word. There's plenty of room for thinking because there's so much in it that you can study and ponder and you can always be learning more. No scholar has ever grasped the whole of it. There's plenty of room for thinking and there's plenty of room for living. The word of God reaches as far as a human life can go and beyond. Wherever we travel, whatever work we do, Whatever experiences we have, whatever activities we take up, whatever causes we give ourselves to, the Word of God is there. And it's there to govern and to rule and to speak. Not because it's a word about every subject. It is not. If you've got a math test tomorrow, maybe some of you do. In fact, maybe some of you just remembered that you do. And this is an awkward moment. But if you've got a math test tomorrow and you forget to bring home your math book to study for that test, don't reach for the Bible thinking that the Bible is going to give you what your math textbook would have given you. It will not, and the test will not go well. It's not a word about every subject. It doesn't say everything. But what it does say, in a way, governs everything interprets everything, integrates everything in the sense that the Bible, the the Word of God, becomes a lens through which we see all things in the light of God. It is exceedingly broad. So the Word is roomy for thinking and for living. And one of the greatest comforts as we sort of tie all this together, one of the greatest comforts is this. The Word of God is so broad, so wide, so spacious, that it's even spacious enough for sinners. And that is the real comfort. When you sin against God, when you fail Him, it's not as if you've gone so far that you've ended up somewhere where the Word of God doesn't reach In other words, it's not as if you're standing on ground that's beyond the borders of the Word and the mercy that's revealed in the Word so that you're without hope. No, even even way out there where you've wandered and where you find yourself, whatever you've done, however you've ended up there, the Word of God still addresses you. We can say it still commands you. And what it commands you to do is look to Christ. And repent. And look to Christ for forgiveness. And rise up restored. And press on. Not quitting. Because God has not quit on you. And that is. That is one of so many ways. In which. The word of God is broad. And vast. In a way that exceeds even the best of earthly blessings. And relationships. Sadly, in some human relationships, it's when you sin, it's when you fail, that's when you discover how limited this relationship was maybe all along, how limited the other person's love was all along. As soon as you let them down, you have this sinking feeling that you have placed yourself beyond the borders of that person's love. 
And there's no returning, at least for a while, until you find a way, way out there where you've wandered, to make some kind of atonement that'll make it better. But the Word of God is so much broader than that. It is exceedingly broad. It's broad enough for sinners. You cannot wander so far that you've placed yourself beyond gospel ground. And for that very same reason, no matter how far you've wandered away, not only is there gospel grace way out there so that you can be forgiven, there's also a guiding word way out there to show you the way back, to show you a way back and a way forward after you've repented. You know what it feels like when you've gotten lost. Whether you're on a hike or you're driving in the car or whatever, you know what it feels like when you've gotten lost, especially when it begins to dawn on you that you've gotten lost by wandering far, far away from where you're supposed to be. That can be one of the most unsettling feelings, especially if it's the evening and it's starting to get dark. Or even worse, if it's nighttime and it's already dark. Even worse, if it's fall or winter and it's starting to get cold, like October 2nd. Especially if you find yourself these days somewhere where there's not much of a cell signal. That can be one of the most unsettling feelings. And you know in that moment when you're feeling that, what you ache for, what you long for. Some kind of guiding word that can reach you way out there where you've gone and tell you the way back. Whether it's finding a map, because you had the foresight to download maps for offline use before you left. Or getting a phone call. That's what you want. You want some guiding word that can reach you way out there and tell you the way back. Ideally, it's both. It's a map you can read, and it's a reassuring voice you can hear so that you know how to get back. And not just get back to where you lost your way, but then how to keep pressing on so that you eventually get where you'd meant to get in the first place. And brothers and sisters, God's word is all of that and more. No matter how far you've wandered away, When you've repented, this exceedingly broad, commanding word is a guiding word. It's a map you can read. It's a reassuring voice you can hear. And the voice that you're hearing is the voice of your Father in heaven who loves you and who's guiding you back even way out there. And that's because his commandment is exceedingly broad. His word really does reach that far. The way back may not be easy. And maybe you've experienced that too when you've gotten lost and you had to recover from it. The way back may not be easy. Sometimes it's back roads or obscure trails or a steep climb that you've got to take. The way back may not be easy, but just knowing that there is one and that you've got it before you in what you're reading and you're hearing a voice reassuring and guiding, a voice that's not going to cut out because the signal won't cut out and the call won't be lost. That's what makes for peace 
and confidence and trust. So in all of these ways, the psalmist is saying something here that's so important for us to grasp. What a verse. I have seen a limit to all perfection, but your commandment is exceedingly broad. Here we fix our eyes on Christ, who not only saw in his own experience those limits and who experienced them himself living in this same world, but who knew his Father's word and knew the broadness of it. And who is now, Christ is now, the living word. And goes with us wherever we go. I have seen a limit to all perfection, but your commandment is exceedingly broad. So, Christian, as a new week dawns, here's the question. Are you ready? Are you ready for what is certainly going to happen this week? However it happens, however intensely, however powerfully it's going to happen, are you ready to butt up against the limits of the good things of this world? Because they're finite, they're flawed, and don't kid yourself that that hasn't changed. Are you ready for that? In a lot of different ways, the people in this world are not ready for that. People not ready for limits. They don't, they don't know how to handle the limitations that they encounter. And it shows, it shows in the way that they respond. So a husband can't handle the limitations of his wife, his good, faithful wife, so he leaves her to find another one. Or a citizen can't handle the limitations of the legal system, even when it's been fair, so he resorts to rage or vengeance. Or a church member can't handle the flaws of his church or of its ministers. A good, strong church, and so he leaves it to find another one, and then another one, and then another one. Or a child can't handle the end of Christmas, so on December 26th he pouts and lashes out at his sister. Or he can't handle the end of Beach Week, so when Beach Week ends, instead of being grateful for it, he's bitter and he starts combing the calendar for the next best thing. What's the next thing on the calendar? Because that's all he's got, is to look forward to the next thing. There are a lot of people of all ages in the world who in a lot of different ways just don't know how to handle and respond to the limitations they encounter, even the limitations that are true of the best things. So, Christian, what about you? Are you ready for limits? Open your eyes and you'll see them. You'll be able to say with the psalmist, I have seen a limit to all perfection. Well, part of being ready for them, part of being equipped to handle them, is knowing that you have the very consolation that we've been basking in today, which is that the Word of God is exceedingly broad and will never run out, will never let you down. The Word of God, which has plenty of room for your thinking and living and even for your falling and your rising. So maybe we'd be grateful, yes, for the blessings of this life, even the the completeness, the fullness that we experience in it. But let's also be realistic. Let's open our eyes, eyes wide open, brothers and sisters. Be realistic about their limits. And then exceedingly grateful for this wide and spacious and broad word that God has given us. May it be so. Let's pray together.
Father, we do thank you for your word that is exceedingly broad in all of the ways that we've just considered. We are grateful for the good things of this life. We would not overlook them. And yet we are mindful of their limits, mindful of those limits because we can see them too. And we have, and we shall. So we pray that you'd help us to rest in your word, plenty of room in it for living, thinking, falling, rising. We bless you for it, God of the word. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.